0: Son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Chapter eight, we'll start reading at verse eighteen. In the course of it, we'll read this phrase about how all creation is groaning waiting for the restoration of god's original design uh, you know when god created the world he created everything in it for his glory that everything that would happen would be for his glory that even hurricanes would be for his glory i was uh, wondering about that because i was trying to figure out how hurricanes work for the glory of god so i, I asked uh, noah not not the Bible, no. The the National Atmospheric Aeronautics, um, and uh, they they actually have a have a video on the five good things that hurricanes do. I didn't know this. Hurricanes do do good things. One of the things that hurricanes do is they churn up the red tide. Uh, out in the ocean, there's a thick layer of bacteria that covers the uh, the surface of the ocean, and these bacteria gobble up all the oxygen, and they make the water below them just totally unlivable, and they kill little fish and big fish. And so this red tide is a real problem in the ocean if you're going to sustain life in the ocean. Well, when a hurricane comes along, it breaks up that red tide. All the waves and the, and the wind, it, it just churns it up, and it disperses the red tide. Secondly, what the, the hurricane then is doing, it's aerating the water. You know, if you have an aquarium at home, you have the, one of those little uh, 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 deep-sea diver guys with the bubbles coming out of his head, um, that, that the reason you're doing that is put air into the water. Well, that's what a hurricane does. Now, it doesn't have to always be a hurricane, it can be a tropical storm, uh, and it can be anything about the weather system, but God designed the weather, weather systems of the earth so that the seas would constantly have oxygen being just sort of bubbled into them by the, by the power of, a, of, for example, a, a hurricane. Um, Hurricanes also are pretty good at ending droughts. (laughs) And uh, the folks in in Texas are are finding that out. Uh, But there are a lot of areas that don't get a lot of water unless some weather system picks it up out of the ocean, throws it into the atmosphere, and then has the uh, high and low pressure system and all that other business that that will push that water into places where it can uh, alleviate uh, a drought. Um, The other thing a hurricane can do is hurricanes spread the the, the good seeds. Every time a hurricane blows a tree down, it picks up the, the seeds or the spores or the whatever is off that tree, and it takes all that and it just disperses it all over the land so that you can have more trees later on. You never thought of this. I never thought of this. Now, the fifth thing that a hurricane does that's really good, I don't understand, but I'll explain it to you anyway. It has something to do with a hurricane system in the middle latitudes causing the hot air of the equator to mix with the cold air of the Arctic and mixing it together and establishing a temperature equilibrium of the atmosphere of the earth so that you don't have exorbitantly hot zones and exorbitantly cold zones. The hurricanes sort of keep all the air mixing together so you don't overheat. And I'm being being told that's true. Okay, so, um, uh, but anyway, so hurricanes do some good things, but we know that hurricanes can also cause devastation. You see, our, our universe is a fallen universe. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they injected rebellion against God's will into the universe. And even the physical universe is, is suffering the results of that sin. Now, I am not saying that the people of Texas sinned worse than the people of Maryland, and therefore they got the hurricane. I mean, you remember that the the folks came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what about those people who got killed when the tower collapsed? You know, they were building a tower and it collapsed and it killed all of them. Weren't they really bad sinners? Wasn't God judging them for something? Jesus said, no. He says, no, you got to understand, we're all liable for judgment. We all deserve to be judged. It's just the grace of God that we aren't instantaneously. So it's not like the particular sins of a particular town deserves a particular hurricane uh, in that sense, but it is more that our sin, all of our sin, has, 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 we've injected the brokenness of sin into the created world. And so hurricanes come along and they work a tremendous devastation. I know your heart has been broken as you've seen the people of Houston and now uh, Louisiana and, and other places where um, people have lost their homes and their businesses, Uh, some have lost loved ones, Uh, and life for many of these folks will never, ever be the same again. Now, what's happening is you're hearing a lot of brave, courageous folks, and it's really stirring. And, And they're saying things like, we lost everything, but at least my family's okay. We can replace the house. We can't replace the family. And that's true. But about a week from now or two weeks from now, they're going to realize, I just lost my home. And there will be real grief at the loss of, of what was their home. And uh, there will be depression and there will be challenges. And then people will figure out about two months from now that, no, we're not going to snap right back. This may be Texas, but it is going to take us a couple of years. And uh, I don't know when I'll ever have a steady job again. And I don't know when the food chain will actually be established. You realize how dependent we are on the food chain? Some of you guys with guns, you can go out and hunt and things. But, uh, but the rest of us, we're dependent upon the grocery store, all right? If it doesn't come in a frozen package, we can't eat it. So, <laughs> but, but all that's destroyed in the hurricane, and so there's a lot of disruption going on, and there will be uh, for quite some time. Uh, You got a a little flyer, didn't you, as you came in? I hope you did. It talks about some ways that you can be a a part of supporting the relief efforts in Texas. Um, One of the ways is by giving to our local state convention, the Baptist Convention in Maryland, Delaware. We have a disaster relief fund. That uh, money and and some uh, uh, people power resources are being sent down uh, to the Houston area. Also, you can give to the Texas Baptist Convention. They have a disaster relief fund. Uh, as well, um, the the national fund is uh, funded through the North American Mission Board. It's a disaster relief fund, and uh, uh, all the money that is given to our uh, disaster relief fund for uh, the Southern Baptists, all of that money goes directly to relief because the overhead was paid. Uh, already. You, you were paying for the overhead when you were faithful in giving your tithes and your offerings to the church because we give some of that money uh, through the cooperative program to places like the North American Mission Board. Uh, so they're in place when these kinds of disasters strike. So um, you're already a part of disaster relief. But uh, some other things that, that you're doing that you may not know about yet um, is that we will be leading the church to set aside $20,000 uh, for direct relief. Um, we, we're thinking in terms of, of Hurricane Harvey and the problem there. Uh, Irma was, uh, was dancing around in the Gulf or somewhere, and, and if she comes ashore and does some damage, we, we may split the funds. But we're setting aside $20,000 for, um, for disaster relief uh, in that regard. We've been in touch with folks in Texas, with uh, the person who coordinates uh, ministry uh, for some 600 Southern Baptist churches in the Houston area. What he has told us is that our brothers and sisters in Christ have opened up their hearts and they have given tremendously in terms of clothing and food and water and getting all the things that are necessary to get through this opening stage, this opening phase of crisis. But what he is telling us is that there will be phase two. Uh, there will be the time when uh, the, the, the long-term recovery begins. And, and uh, so we'll be in touch with him. He's asked that we delay our direct giving uh, to him Uh, that $20,000 that that we get in touch with him and a little bit later that that be sent along. We hope to establish connections with a local church down there. Uh, But also, if uh, you are old-fashioned and read email, uh, you you may be aware that our benevolent offering this morning uh, is being designated for disaster relief as well. Uh, The deacons administer the benevolent fund And uh, what we have decided to do is to take this morning's benevolent offering and also next month we have Lord's Supper in the morning uh, service as well. That offering also will be taken up for disaster relief. That money, the money we collect today and next month, that will be sent directly to the North American Mission Board Disaster Relief Fund. Uh, That's money that will go straight right away into the pipeline. Uh, The other funds that we talked about are, are going to be dispersed uh, once the uh, I was going to say the dust settles, but I guess I should say the water settles down and, and drains out a little bit. So that's, that's what you're having a part of uh, already, and I hope you participate as well during the uh, benevolent offerings a little bit later on. We turn to the passage of Scripture, and God knew what He was doing when He sort of finagled the, uh, the, uh, the journey through the Book of Romans. At this point, uh, as we see things going on in the news, we read about a creation that is groaning and waiting for the restoration that will be given to creation when Jesus returns. So let's read this passage together. It starts in verse 18, Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's bow together in prayer. And gracious Father, we are mindful to lift up to you our brothers and sisters in, in Texas and in Louisiana. Uh, Father, for all those in their neighborhood and in their families who are struggling, who are hurting, who have suffered great devastation. Father, we pray again for physical well-being and safety. Father, we also pray for spiritual well-being and safety, that our our countrymen and our our neighbors there would not lose heart, but their eyes would be lifted up and they would see things of heaven. And even in the midst of great devastation, they would see the greater glory that you bring to us in Christ Jesus. I pray that your name would be exalted and you would often be mentioned and and, and, and advanced and proclaimed as the one who is sovereign over all and that through even this time of great challenge, you, Father, would receive praise, honor, and glory. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And Paul said that it's not just creation, but we also groan within ourselves waiting, waiting for that hope. You know, in point of fact, pain and sorrow and heartache are a part of our lives. There's that peculiar suffering that is ours because we believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, look, if they're going to persecute the master, they're going to persecute the students as well. Why would you think that a world that hates Jesus would love you? Why would you think that a world that wants to have nothing to do with Jesus as Lord, doesn't have any interest in obeying his commandments, does not want to walk in his footsteps, why do you think they would be happy with you? So if they persecuted the master, they're going to persecute us. And Paul said that. He said, you know, we're joint heirs with Christ. We get what he gets, the glory of heaven. But that's all bound together with the fact that we suffer with him and we are glorified with him. That these are bound together in a way that cannot be broken apart. And what that means is that in the very middle of our suffering, no matter what it is, where it's come from, how severe, how long, whatever the suffering is, God never leaves himself without a testimony to his greatness and his glory in that situation. In every suffering, you can find the glory of God being expressed. Have you been thrilled by the images on the television uh, of the people getting in their boats and going to rescue sometimes their neighbors and sometimes more often than not strangers they're getting in these little boats and they're going up and down the road and I'm having a trouble because they're not merging safely and they're not but but you know Think what it's like to look out your, your, your living room window and you're seeing boats just drive by where cars used to be. But people have come from all over the South and they have, they've, they've brought their, their boats and they're going and they're rescuing people. They're taking them off of rooftops. And what a glorious testament it is to the capacity of the human heart for sympathy and compassion to throw your life into helping and serving and rescuing others. Beloved, life should always be that way. We shouldn't wait for a hurricane. Your neighbor doesn't have to be stranded on his roof before you can love him and help him and serve him. Your neighbor doesn't have to be hungry and destitute before you can go and join with him in fellowship and walk life 's journey with him, see this is the way God designed the universe to be that we would be a, a, a family bonded together, and it is our sinfulness and our willfulness, willfulness and our, our our iniquity. We have broken what God has designed. And only occasionally in times of great trauma do you see bubbling up just the smallest vestige of that greatness that God designed for us to have. And when you see those rescue operations going on, and we're so thankful that it seems the rescues are coming to to an end, but now we're praying for the rebuilding. But when you see those images of rescue going on, think to yourself, this is what life should always have been. And if you don't think that's God's will, just think of the greatest rescue of all time. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. When he sent his son to die for our sins. When Jesus took our place that we would be rescued for all eternity. You see, God does not leave himself without a testimony to his greatness and his glory. Even in the middle of a hurricane, even in the middle of a flooding, we see just an inkling of what God has in mind for us. But we, we're not there. We don't get there. For a few months maybe we'll gear up and we'll be nice and friendly and it'll be like brotherhood week every week for two months and then we'll go back to doing stuff to each other. I don't know why that is other than sin, I've seen it so often that when you come to the graveside and a loved one has passed away and the family comes together and they haven't talked to each other for a long time and they've been spread out all over the country. But here at the graveside, they've canceled appointments. They've put off business meetings. They've decided that their vacations are not more important. They need to be together here. And at the graveside, you see people who love each other, who haven't talked in so long. You see them hugging together and holding hands together and crying together and laughing together. That's what life ought to be. Why do we stand beside the grave before life comes to us? But God does not leave himself without a testimony to his greatness and his glory. That's the way it should always be. Clear your calendar. Reach out and hug and laugh and cry because that's what God designed. We're not there. Creation knows it. Paul says, if you look at the text, and you can look at it while I'm talking, but Paul says that creation is groaning and what? What kind of groaning? Birth pangs. It's the groan and the pain of birth. Now, some of you are thinking, I know nothing about the pain of birth. Let me tell you, guys, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing you can do right while she's giving birth. You talk about pain and suffering, right, guys? But if I walk down the halls of a hospital and I pass by a room and I see the cries of pain coming out of that room, beloved, it makes a difference whether I'm walking through the maternity ward or through the oncology ward. There is pain and there's groaning going on and all of creation is growing, but it's birth pains. There's something better coming. And God has designed it for us in Christ Jesus with all the pain, with all the suffering and the sorrow. One day we'll all look up, half the planet that doesn't know him, they'll say, who's that? You know what's coming. We're going to say, that's Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, this guy is Lord. And they'll give glory to God the Father. I do not consider the suffering of the present moment worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in the sons of God. You see, those of us who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we're already sensing, we're already tasting, we're already living out the glory yet to be revealed. Now, the great thing, because Paul also says we're groaning even though we see the glory, is that this is our response to the pain and the suffering of the world around us. It's not to hide in denial, say, oh, well, there's no suffering going on. After all, we've got Jesus. Yeah, there's suffering going on, and we have Jesus. But, you know, it's not a way to deny the pain. It's a way to get real with the pain. It's not to deny the suffering. It's to get real with it. We can face whatever life brings because we know the one who is Lord and Master over all life, Jesus Christ. We can face whatever comes because we know ultimately our Father in heaven is sending the Son in glory and he is the one who is coming. That's why we can face the suffering of today. It's not denial, it's realism. That's why Paul says, yes, we groan. It's okay to groan. It's okay to say, look, I'm hurting. Things are going badly. there's there's things going on and they're just not right and I don't understand them and I'm confused. It's all right to be to to your wits end as to what even to pray for anymore. By the way, that's why in the next paragraph, Paul's going to say, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses even when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. See, this isn't denial of the suffering. This is realism. We groan, but we groan within the context of the glory of God. Because not only do we groan, we also hope. And we have a hope that supersedes anything we see around us. We have a hope that is greater than any tragedy, any any collapse, any calamity that comes our way. Our hope is greater. And we live in this hope. Now look, that word hope doesn't mean wishful thinking. We're not just living on the case of, well, wouldn't it be nice if someday Jesus comes again? Wouldn't it be nice if someday God makes a new heaven and a new earth? Wouldn't it be nice if someday the glory of God breaks forth for every eye to see? Wouldn't it be nice if someday it's all set right and creation is the way God designed it? We're not saying wouldn't it be nice. We're saying that's the way it's going to be. And the reality of what God is going to do changes how we live today. That's what hope is. It's the certainty of the promises of God taking hold of our lives today. And so we groan, we get real, and we hope, which is even greater reality for us. So Paul says, look, this this suffering and the glory of God, they're they're totally connected. We'll we'll suffer with Jesus. We'll, We'll suffer and... And, and we'll, we'll take whatever comes our way because of Jesus. And, and all creation groaning, we'll groan along with it. We see things aren't right, but we know what's coming because we are also connected to the glory of God. In no circumstance does God ever leave himself without a witness. Every day of your life, God will give you a testimony of his glory and his greatness. That is... Is the hope that keeps us going. Paul says, Hope that's seen is not hope. What he means by that is hope that has already been fulfilled and grasped, and we already have, have seen. He says, Yeah, it's something that's yet to be, and we still hope, but we are saved in that hope. In a few moments, we'll be coming to the Lord's table, and it's the invitation of hope that brings us. But think about what will happen will partake of the bread and the cup that proclaims the broken body of Jesus, that proclaims the shed blood of Jesus, that proclaims his death until he comes. Have you thought about the fact that we come celebrating the death of Jesus and his suffering? You know, other religions, you know, what do they choose for their symbols? The Muslims have the crescent moon because... Basically, Arabic religion was a lunar religion and, and they never got away from it quite. But it's either the crescent moon or it's the sword of conquest. You know, in, in, in the Asiatic religions, you have the yin and the yang with all this sort of semicircular peace going on. Even in Judaism, you have the star of David, the great king. In Christianity, you have a cross, the sign of suffering and death. that suffering is the gate to our life that is how we know we shall live because he died we live that is our hope And so in the midst of suffering, and this is my challenge for you this week, is whatever the pain, whatever the heartache, whatever the suffering, whatever the disappointment, whatever the depression, uh, whatever the setback, well, you know, just at those moments when you say, you know, life really isn't going that well right now, I want you to pause and remember that God's glory is sure. And we look to the glory of heaven. We look to the glory of the return of our Lord. We look to the glory of our Father. And that changes how we see today. So I'm just asking you, keep your eyes on the glory. And in the middle of suffering, you'll see the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how thankful I am that in these moments your spirit still bears testimony of who you are and how you work And Father, that our minds are not the measure of your greatness, but Father, you allow us to understand enough and to know enough that we would be drawn ever forward in the footsteps of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for the folks in this room, I ask your Holy Spirit to come upon each one to draw into Christ, to give courage and patience and endurance in Christ, so that Father, even in the midst of the lowest parts of life, we would be brought to the heights by the revelation of your glory. Father, I ask this all in Jesus' name, that you would be honored. Amen.